Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week, this week it's a bit of a cultural icon, I think. It's the man behind this song right here, believe it or not. The greatest American hero theme. It's Joey Scarberry. Now, I just thought it would be really interesting to find out who in the world is Joey Scarberry. Where was he? What was he doing before this song got huge? Why were there no other hits? Why was there only one album? Where did he go? What's he been doing all this time? Does he make any money off of this song? These are all the questions that I wanted to get answers to, and thankfully Joey participated. So he had been a backup singer for a lot of country artists for a long time before getting picked to do this song. People like Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, and then uh, Mike Post, who was like the king of TV theme songs back then, picks Joey to sing this song. It takes off. They hurry and cobble together an album around him. Uh, great people play on it. And, but as usual, the label really doesn't do anything else with it. They just sort of let it sit there. And that's it. And Joey's kind of disillusioned by this anyway. I don't want to do this. So he moves on. He stays in the music business for a little while. And then he goes off and he does something else. And now he is a regular guy with a regular job working in cars. And uh, he's got a regular job like the rest of us. So anyway... I just thought it would be really interesting to find out what is Joey Scarberry's story. Now, I want to give some thank yous. There have been people over the years, honestly, who have either requested Joey or tried to help me get in contact with him. It was not easy. And I probably owe more thank yous to other people. Please forgive me if I've forgotten you or I left you out. Tell me. But I got I to gotta give a thank you to one of our listeners, Howard Cogswell, who helped me track him down. And it took almost a year to get Joey to, b between the time we I first made contact to when we actually did the interview. So anyway, thank you, Howard, and thanks to anyone else. If I'm forgetting you, I'm sorry, but Joey's been kind of a hot topic over the years. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Who knew? Here we go. These are the answers we've been looking for. He called me from his home in Southern California. All righty. Well, uh, for starters, like I said, I've been trying to find you for years, Joey, and what little there is about you out there, in fact, mentions sometimes that you consider yourself sort of reclusive. Is that on purpose? Do you like your privacy? Do you not like to be the Joey Scarberry? What's the story there? Well, I don't mind being Joey Scarberry. I just, I never was much for the spotlight. You know, I love the studio. I love singing in the studio. I love singing backgrounds for people. Stuff like that, when I finally had the record, and the spotlight happened and the fame happened. It really wasn't my cup of tea. Mm. So I, I'm not reclusive by any means, but I just make it difficult for people to, to find me. Yeah. <laughs> huh. That's so fascinating. So, because I, I think a lot of people might have conjured up sort of a narrative for you in their mind, which is that, and it goes it goes with any one hit wonder where it, there's a it's great but there's also a little bit of sadness like oh it's too bad it didn't work out for that guy it too it's too bad there wasn't more but it sounds like you're perfectly fine with that I am fine with it I you know I I thought about eight or nine years after the record was out I was getting a lot of work at studio work and stuff like that in Nashville um, wrote a song with Even Stevens it was number one for the Oak Ridge Boys. Mm -hmm had a had a deal in place to do some more recording and uh and maybe go out there again and they just wanted too many days and i'm a family guy mm -hmm. so i just you know i coach baseball for 15 years love my three kids to death and my wife and yeah and just kind of wouldn't commit to that kind of that kind of schedule yeah okay 
Well, that's good to hear. So let's start from the beginning. When, you know, prior to being plucked from obscurity, so to speak, to sing this song, what were you doing? I was singing backgrounds for Loretta Lynn on the road for three years. Now, how did that even happen? Did you audition? Did you move from somewhere to L.A. to make it as a singer? No, 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 no. I was born and raised in the L.A. area. Okay. Um, I did talent shows when my mom would take me to. My dad was working overseas when I was, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I did some talent shows and stuff like that. And my mom was working in a furniture store. And a guy came in one day and said his name was Bob Webb. Of course, Glenn Campbell and Jimmy Webb were very popular at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She was really she said, Jimmy Webb. And I go, she goes, he goes, yeah, he's my son. We just moved out here from Oklahoma. <laughs> so, um, you know, long story short, he, he kind of made friends with her. I was invited to dinner at their house, and Jimmy was there, and I sang for him. And Jimmy was my first record producer. Mm. That That's is insane. That's when I was like 12 years old. <laughs> that yeah. is insane. Wow. Yep. Now, does that have something to do with you had like a hit in 1971 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, that was called that was called Mixed Up Guy. Yeah. And Jimmy wrote Jimmy wrote that song. Wanna let you go now, Angel. Though I could make you stay. I could use my blind self pity. Throw it in your way. Times have turned between us And you know I don't believe That it makes one bit of difference If you stay or if you leave Why can I be lonely Like that lonely Russian river Oh, I'm pushing down the mountain guy named Dallas, I can't remember his name, produced it. This was after I, after Jimmy produced like two or three sides on me, we had nothing. Uh -huh. uh, that song was written by Jimmy. Matter of fact, Thelma Houston did that song as well. Oh. And uh, recorded that and it was, it was almost a hit. Okay. Almost a hit, but not quite. I'm so, well, I was going to say, did you record it under your own name? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And was there an album deal, or was it just just, just a no, single? no, 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 just single. Yeah, okay. yeah, huh? Yeah, record it and see what happens. And not enough. Pretty happened, much, yeah. Like. Okay. Not enough. Happened, not enough. I mean, I got a lot of a lot of airplay and stuff like that on some major stations. You know, KHJ in LA, which was the biggest station around at the time. Yeah. Played it a lot, but it just never did anything. You know. Huh. Okay. Okay. Was that now? You were only a kid then, right? I was like. I was like. 15. <laughs> so you're too young to really have been jaded or feel, I don't know, are you broken hearted? Actually, that, I, actually I, was like, I was like 16 because at 15, at 15, 14 or 15, I can't remember, I became friends. This guy was managing me, his name was Jerry Phillips. He was good friends with Dan Blocker from, uh, from Bonanza. 
Mm. And I went to Dan's house, thanks for him. Actually, I went to the Playboy Club right outside of Paramount Studios and things for Dan at lunch. And we became good friends. And then he, when Johnny Cash had, he had his variety show, um, he took me on the Johnny Cash show with him. No way. It's on YouTube. Wow. It's on YouTube. And I sang House of the Rising Sun and recorded that, and that was almost a hit, too. But it wasn't. Yeah. Then I recorded Mixed Up Guy. Okay. Okay. Wow. After that, and that, was, that was almost a hit. So. Okay. I got to ask you about one other thing, because I believe you sing on Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 and Other Odd Jobs album. Is that right? Yeah. I'm I had that I'm record when I was back. a kid. I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of back. I got a gold album hanging on the wall from her. Yes. No way. Do you remember a yeah, song in particular that you were on? You know that I love you. I'm singing I'm singing the duet with her. No way. When the morning sun streaks across my room And I'm waking up from another dream of you Yes, you know I'm on the road Once again it seems all that's left behind is a chain of broken dreams but you know that i love you you know that i love you oh i love you and how i wish that love is all we'd need to live what a life we'd have cause i've got so much to give but you know i so sad down inside my heart that the dollar signs should be keeping us apart but you know that I love you you know that I love you oh how I love you and if only I could find my way back to the time when the problems are this life Backgrounds and all the, all the songs with a couple other people, okay. um, except for nine to five. Right, that was kind of done separately. Yeah, I had that record when I was a little kid. I used to play that thing to death. That is yep. wild. Yeah, and I think Mike yeah. Post produced correct. that, and that's how that is, is correct. Is that where your relationship with Mike Post was formed? No, 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 no. That's oh. where my relationship with Dolly was formed. Was okay, mine. okay, yeah, okay. My new my, Michael. Was, I met Michael when I was like 16 years old, and I couldn't even I couldn't even drive yet. <laughs> I was on seven major record labels with Michael, producing songs on me before mixed up before mixed up guy before uh, Grease Married Hero was a hit. Uh huh. No way. Yep. So this yep. guy. So it sounds like Mike Post just he had an ear, and he thought you had what it took, I guess, and so he kind of stuck with you for a while, hoping that it might happen. Correct. Okay. Okay. So you're singing backup for Loretta Lynn, touring with her. Are you on any of her recorded albums at that time? Yeah, we wrote, Bruce Frazier and I, who was the musical director for her when we were in Vegas, Reno, and Tahoe, 
we wrote a song together. I can't remember the name of it, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And it was on it was on one of her albums, and then we did I did two albums with her. The back there was four of us in the background group: two girls and me and James Cadell, which is a bass singer. We did all the backgrounds on like two albums for her. Wow, that's wild. I mean, you're dealing with a legend. I mean, she's, I don't know oh, if no. her legendary status is, you know, cemented at that time, but pretty much was. Well, it was because of the fact that when when I was, just after I joined the group, Coal Miner's Daughter came out. That's what I thought. Okay. The movie. So we were, you know, I was in the band during that whole, the, the peak of her stardom, basically. Wild. It was, it was pretty, pretty nuts, yeah. What was your favorite thing about show business at that time? Being in the studio. Really? None of the glitz and glamour? Yeah. None of the parties? None of that stuff? You like being in the no, studio? No, not really. Not really. I mean, that's where I shine. Yeah. You know, in the studio was, was my forte. I could do I could do a lot of stuff. Herb Peterson, who's a great singer and songwriter and, uh, you know, and, and played banjo and guitar and sang backgrounds on tons of, tons of records. Back in the day, taught me how to sing backgrounds. He was a friend of Mike's also. So he would sing backgrounds on all my records and I would sing backgrounds on his and and he taught me how to do it and we just we had a ball doing it and I just absolutely loved that. I liked being on stage as long as I was behind the scenes. Huh. Uh about halfway through a term with Loretta she found that I could sing. So she'd call me up in the middle of her shows and have me sing Desperado. Really? Something like that. Which was, which was kinda cool, you know what I'm saying? But I just yeah. never was much one never was one much to to be an an entertainer. Huh. I was a singer. I could stand up there and sing, but beyond that, when the guy was playing the, the guitar riff or a guitar leader, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> wow. Unless I was playing an instrument, I was got to sit there looking like an idiot. You know? uh, so, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's, okay, then obviously cut to Greatest American Hero. Mike Post is brought on to to write that song. And I did he have you in mind when he did that? I was touring with Loretta at the time. And Michael and Stephen Cannell had done a show called Beretta. Mm -hmm. Pete Carpenter was, was scoring these shows with Michael. What a great guy Pete Carpenter was. They had a couple of shows out at the time. And he'd also done Hill Street Blues. Yeah. And Rockford Files. And, and I think he did Taxi. And Rockford, Rockford Files. And I can't remember the other one. Anyway, yeah. Stephen Cannell had this idea to come out with the show. Well, Steve Geyer, who I knew very well, who's the guy that wrote the lyrics, Mm -hmm. The Greatest American Hero. He and Michael basically wrote the song with me in mind. Mm. And I had to fly home. You know, I was home when we walked into Stephen Cannell's, uh, not his office, but a little studio right outside of his office. I learned the song in about, I don't know, an hour. <laughs> I sang it for Stephen. And uh, he loved it. So we just we decided to use it for the theme song. And uh, then I flew home. I was on the road with Loretta. I flew home. And did the theme for the actual series, and a couple of the songs inside the series we did a David Bowie song and and, and some other song. Yeah, the series took off, and then Stephen would write a song for each episode in that series. So there would be a different song in each episode, which which was kind of cool. Yeah. So um, once I would have to fly home and do those songs for the episodes, but then about ten weeks after the series came out, they had all these letters wanting to know where they could buy the theme songs. We didn't have a record deal at the time. Hmm. We didn't have a record deal at all. So quickly, there was a guy named Joey Aberback that was a friend of Michael's. 
who um, worked at Electric Asylum. He got us on Electric, we put this little single deal together, and made the record really quickly, put it out, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah, you know? yeah. Do you remember if Mike and Steven had to fight for you at all? I mean, back then, I, like, for instance, you know, the iconic TV themes of the time, like Love Boat or Three's Company, those are great songs, but no one knows who sings them. I don't know if a studio would have had a big name in mind or if they were okay with session guys singing songs like that at that time. Well, the studio, I mean, I mean, people wanted the same voice that was on the, that was on the, the, uh, the show. The, oh, like okay. I said, the show had been out 10 weeks and, and what's the point in having, I mean, but they knew that song, that show and that voice. Yeah. Okay. So I was naturally the one to, to do the song. Right, yeah. but I mean, were there other contestants in the running to have no. saying no, zero, okay. no, zero, it's just you? Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. okay. Do you keep in touch with Mike Post at all? I do. I probably talk to Mike every two or three months. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so he writes this song. He has you in mind. You come in and sing it. You're thinking you're doing a the theme song to a TV show. Nothing major. You're Correct. a studio guy. Correct. And you're doing these yep. incidental songs each episode as well, but suddenly, and right. they think they have something here with this song, so they expand it from the minute-long song that it is on the show to like three, three minutes and something, right? Correct. Correct. Now I know the album that you did, which I want to get a little more specific about, had some of the, like the key session guys at that time. There's Larry Carlton on guitar. There's Leland right. Sklar on bass. Yep. These guys are playing yep. on your record. But, uh, but they played on almost all my records. See, they were all friends of Michael and I. Hmm. So Michael knew them all really well, Leland, Larry. I mean, Larry's a phenomenal player. Leland's yes. a phenomenal player. Yeah. Some great drummers, uh, great guitar players, great keyboard guys. But I, I mean, I was, I was surrounded by these incredible musicians who put this album together and put it out. It wasn't a bad album, but uh, no. unfortunately, it took a long time for it to get released because what people don't know is that Warner Brothers, who was owned the rights to Superman at the time, was in a legal battle with Stephen Cannell over the fact that they were infringing on Superman's rights huh. with the greatest American hero. Well, Warner Brothers owned Electric Asylum, which was the record label I was on. <laughs> weird. So it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird until they didn't release the album for a long time. By the time we got the album out, the next thing that came out, it was finished. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Now, so does Larry Carlton play the guitar solo on Greatest American Hero? Yes. Wow. That is wild. For anyone who doesn't know, I mean, we went, we, went, we went to his house and recorded it at his studio. Oh, wow. That's yeah. wild. That's yeah. wild. So how long... Okay, so it took... No one had you in mind to record a complete album, but the song hits, and now, of course, right. they need they need more. I imagine the powers that be, the machine just starts going, churning like crazy on your behalf. Okay, let's get all Correct. the best musicians we know. Let's get all the best songwriters we know. Let's supply right. Joey with all the best songs we can find. And it's probably just a frantic, what was your life like at that time trying to create this album? It was still pretty, I mean, I, I never let it really get heady with it or anything like that. It was it was weird because I'd go to restaurants and people would hear my name come over the speaker to call me to go in and stuff like that. And, and I would, I would get some stuff going on, but, but other than that, it was just, I was in the studio a lot. I mean, you know, I was there, you know, every day for, you know, four or five weeks. And it was, but it was, 
it was a lot of something I absolutely loved, you know. I mean, I, I just had a ball doing that album. All the great players and the great singers that I worked with, it was just, you know, it's something very few people get to experience, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even if it's just for a fleeting moment, you know? Yeah. And it's just something that, that's, you know, you know, I, I have a God-given talent to be able to sing. I never had any lessons or anything like that, and I was just fortunate that I could do that and uh, had people to recognize it and was able to surround myself with very talented people, and it was amazing. Yeah. Now, the follow-up single was When She Dances, correct? Yep. When she's walking down the street, she might not even catch her eye. And she don't talk much, maybe she's simple, maybe she's just shy. Did anything really happen with that? No. It wasn't the song I thought should have came out. Same. Uh, it should have been Love Me Like the Last Time, I think, or or um, There Is a River That Flows, because that was right after the crisscross stuff with sailing and all that stuff. Mm. And I thought There Was a River was very much like that, but I didn't really have any say. Neither did Michael. That was the one that the record company wanted, and, and it just kind of died. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. That felt like mismanagement. Do you remember how long after Greatest American Hero hits number two did When She Dances finally come out as a follow-up single? Oh, I don't know. It's funny. Greatest American Hero was number one in every single trade magazine. Except Billboard. Really? Except Billboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... And, that was, and, and Billboard, I got jumped by Jesse Girl. Oh, really? And I thought I... it was Endless Love. I thought I read somewhere that no, no, no. I got jumped. I got jumped by Jesse Girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great but song too. But it's been 26 weeks on the charts. That is crazy. You, know, my song did. you performed on Solid Gold. Tell me about that experience. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I just walked in. They wanted me to lip sync the song, and I said, and Michael and I both said no because nobody ever sang live with the damn. I guess. Uh -huh. So, um, but, but we, we both didn't want to do that. So uh, they played a track and I sang live to it. Really? On Solid you know, Gold? No one does that. Yes. I know. <laughs> Wild. Yep. Do you remember, uh, who would have been the host at that time? Dionne Warwick, Marilyn McCoo? It was, no, it was Marilyn McCoo and Barry Gibb. Oh, Andy so Gibb. He, yeah. Andy Gibb, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Marilyn McCoo and Andy Gibb, yeah. That's right. Okay, okay. What were some of the other, I don't know, did you ever get asked to perform on The Tonight Show, or what was some of the things no, that you I did? No, I did The Tonight Show a couple of times with Dolly, and with Loretta, oh. I did it like three or four times with Loretta and a couple of times with Dolly. Back when Mixed Up Guy was a hit, I did Bot City. Oh. 
which was which was really really old with the with the DJ from uh, from KHJ at the time, the real Don Steele. Oh, nice. okay. I did uh, I did the show um, like I said it was Johnny Cash show, but that's when I was younger, and I did a show with Thursday. So, yeah, uh, she had a she had a show. Yeah, and I did that too. Okay, yeah. okay. But that was really it. Like I didn't like I said I wasn't much of a performer. You know, never, as I got older, I got better. I wish I'd learned it earlier. Okay, so the next, so that album comes out. I got to say, one of the the songs I think would have also been a great single would have been "Everything But Love." That's a good one too. Hey everybody, let me break in here for a minute. I haven't done a midsection for a while. One of the reasons for that is that we don't, we haven't got as many reviews as we should. Come on, people! I I, I always try to read three at a time, and we have three new ones, so that's what I'll do. The first one is called "Thank You." Five stars from 35 Street Magic. Now, let me tell you, I think this is like the third or fourth review 35 Street Magic has written to us. And uh, I don't know who you are. I probably do know who you are, but I probably know you and I don't realize that you're 35 Street Magic. But anyway, thank you, Magic Man or Woman, for writing these reviews. And this one's kind of funny. It's 4.32 a.m. in New York City. Can't sleep and listening to your show. Loving it. Day one fan. (laughs) one fan wow thank you 35 street magic i feel like we're starting kind of a conversation through itunes reviews here he's going to keep writing these he or she is going to keep writing these every few weeks and we're just going to get constant kind of updates on how life is going for 35 street magic another one from clarice gomez awesome podcast five stars john host of the hustle podcast highlight all aspects of artists music and more in this can't miss podcast wow thank you clarice the host and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful to anyone that listens thank you so much that means a lot that's what we're trying to do here and then the third one i'll read is from nafitifan i'm probably this is probably obvious and i'm blowing it naftifan nafitifan I don't know. I'm sorry. Anyway, my favorite hands down five stars. (laughs) You say nice things and I just blow your handle here. I'm sorry. Anyway, what can I say about the show? I have been listening for a few years and it keeps getting better. John's passion, respect for the artist, and his depth of knowledge is really the star here. Wow, that's humbling. Thanks, John, for what you do. Looking forward to what's coming. Thank you, Nafatafan. I appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, please, guys, you're all quarantined. What better do you have to do than to write us a review? I'm not even asking you to make it a five-star one if you don't want to, like everyone else is. Do what you want. Listen to your heart. Just do what your heart says. Um, I want to follow up on a couple other things. Like I said, we, we recently finally kicked off a Patreon page. We probably should have done this a long time ago. It's patreon.com slash thehustlepod, I believe, or the hustle. Anyway... Type that in. You'll you'll find us. You know how to do this. Anyway, my hesitation, as I've said before all this time, is that I feel like Pat Francis sets a standard here of with the Rock Solid podcast, if you don't know, where like every week there's giveaways. And that's his full-time job, basically, is managing uh, the podcast and the giveaways and all that kind of stuff. I don't have that t- kind of time and I don't have that kind of swag to give up. So my thinking was always, well, I didn't want to ask anyone to 
join Patreon if I wasn't going to be able to pay them back with some swag. But I've been thinking lately, because I have swag to give away, one of the reasons I don't go after swag is because I don't want to pay for the postage every time. We gave away a couple of um, three signed copies of the live Credence Clearwater Revisited album a couple years ago. Great album. And we love you. And I, no matter where you are, I will mail you your winnings. I swear it. But one of the winners was, I think, in Australia. And one, I believe, was in Sweden. And the other was in the States. And the Australia and the Sweden one each cost like 30 bucks to mail. Now, I have the money. I can, I can pay that much to mail it to you. But, I, you know, it makes me not want to, like, go out and get a ton of more swag if I got, it's going to cost me 30 bucks every time. So I'm thinking if we can do the Patreon thing, you guys are always so willing and you've offered many, many times over the years and I've hesitated. Well, now we'll do that and we'll use the money to pay offset the cost of the postage so I can give you more swag as we go along. That's the hope. Okay. So anyway, get on there. There's two tiers. The first tier is two bucks a month. You set it and forget it. And with that, it puts you in, uh, you qualify to win whenever there is a giveaway. Okay. The second tier is five bucks a month. And for that, I will let you know who, what my upcoming interviews are. And uh, you can submit a question if you want for possible inclusion in the interview. Okay. I'm thinking of adding another tier of like, I don't know, if you want like a hundred bucks, if you want to join a recap with us or something like that, but I don't want to make that a recurring thing. It would just be a one-time charge to you if you want. Anyway, I don't know. We'll figure this out. We'll keep it growing, but that's our thinking right now. Okay. So anyway, if you want to be involved, if you want to support the show, donations always help for the monthly costs, the postage, the software, whatever it might be, all of it's helpful. We appreciate it. We love you and, you know, we want to be able to pay you back somehow. So this is our way, all right? I don't think there's anything else unless you want to get back on, uh, I don't know, you can buy a t-shirt if you want on Amazon, but, you know, I, I think that's pretty much it. By the way, uh, thanks for listening to the recap that we put out a few days ago, and uh, things are better. Things are better. I, I've heard from a lot of you who have reached out to see if I'm okay, and they were touched by my story about my buddy Jason and his wife Heather both passing away from cancer within two weeks of each other. But things are better in terms of my life. So that's uh, that's that's good. I'll save the rest for another time. But anyway, love you all. Thanks, folks. Let's get back to Joey. I like that. Everything but love, I, I wrote that song with Stephen Geyer. Yeah, I, I, thought, I knew yeah. you did. And I thought this that would be a great follow-up too. You always, <laughs> my understanding for a new, for breaking a new artist is that you start with a peppy song and then you give them maybe yeah. another peppy song so that they remember the first peppy song. And then you go yep. with the ballad. You know what I mean? To show <laughs> exactly. all sides. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, a ma- I'm scoping out, I'm, you know, I'm creating in my mind, what would I have done for Joey Scarberry at that time? I find it so interesting that these record labels or these companies or whatever put all these resources and money behind creating an album for a guy like you that they have right. really no intention of working that hard. Why would they do that? They, I, I, you know, I can't for the life of me tell you why. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just didn't believe in me as an artist, which is possible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe they just thought it was a fluke with the, with the, with the Greatest American Hero thing. I don't know. Um, all I know is that I think I was a really good singer at the time. Absolutely. And that I had a shot at doing some stuff. And it just didn't work out. And probably, you know, it's God's plan. It probably was for the best for me because I was kind of 
I was going to crazy when I was on the road and out there by myself. So yeah. maybe it's best that, that I'm not there, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I read somewhere, tell me if I'm right, is, that uh, Bruce Hornsby played on that album? He did. Bruce and I were pretty good friends back in the day. Matter of fact, when the album, after the album came out, it was probably a year down the road or something like that, we formed a band. It was called the Money, not the Money Night View, Mike Post and Friends. We played about 20 shows around. It was Mike, Lee Sklar, Bruce Hornsby, me, Herb Peterson, David Morgan, who's a phenomenal singer. Oh. Um, Willie Ornelas on drums. God, there was somebody else. I can't remember who played who played guitar. It was John Goo. But it was an amazing band. We did some shows around. It was fun. <laughs> Bruce is a great guy. You I say that so I'm, I do too. You say that so casually. To me, Bruce Hornsby is a legend. I mean, when he's you know, no. went on to great fame and everything, are you just sitting right. back watching your buddy, you know, take over the world or what? Yeah, I mean I, I was happy for him. I mean I he was he's phenomenally talented. Yeah. Phenomenally talented. Just a great songwriter. His brother wrote great lyrics. And he was just an unbelievable piano player Bruce was his hands were huge you know he used to play basketball uh -huh. it wasn't like Elton John. Elton John Elton John has these little tiny hands Bruce's hands are like gigantic you know he's a big tall guy just like a teddy bear uh-huh great I, I love Bruce to death you know wow. great guy that is wild so okay so Grace the the album runs its course you know it's not yep. there's not going to be much from it what do you do then are you suddenly like do you feel free? Like, okay, now I can go back to doing what I was doing before? Or is Not that... at all. I didn't feel free. I felt bad about it really? for a while. I mean, I was only 26 years old, you know, 27 mm -hmm. years old at the time. Mm -hmm. So to have that fleeting bit of fame and then not have it was kind of weird. But the fact is, what it did was it gave me an avenue to where I could do other things. I did uh, um, a lot of movie stuff. I did some other TV themes. I did some charity stuff charity softball tournaments, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I still sing background for people, you know, Kenny Rogers and and and, and lots of different people would have me on their albums. Right. You know, I did a, an album for Disney called Splash Dance. And I, I sang like four or five songs on that, which I which I love because I'm a Disney collector and I uh -huh. love Mickey Mouse and, right. and all that. And I, I did an album for, uh, for I did a series, not a series, but a, a, a Charlie Brown special called Flash Beagle. <laughs> I did all the singing on. Really? And it was it was great. Oh yeah, it was it was great. It was great. I loved it. So I, I was in a lot of a lot more commercials and stuff like that. So I, I stayed in the scene. I just stayed behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. And you were more comfortable back there anyway. You know, it sounds like I was until until later on. You know, when I when I started getting the itch again, and I and when I started going to Nashville a lot, and I met even Stevens, who was the guy that, that sang and produced a lot of the Eddie Rabbit stuff. Yeah. We were we wrote a lot, we wrote a lot of songs together, and we wrote a song called uh, "No Matter How High." It was the last number one record the Oakley Boys had in '89. And wonder just how sweet it would be But baby, I got lucky when I met you that night Now you'll always have this promise from me No matter how high I get I'll always look up to you You'll always be number one I'll settle for number two You've always been there for me Baby, I must confess I'll always look up Sometimes So crazy I don't know what to do When I've had it up to here With all of their lies I can count on you to tell me the truth No matter how high I get I'll always look up to you You'll always be number one I'll settle for number two You've always been there for me Baby, I must confess, I'll always look up to you, no matter how high I get. You are the one that turned me around. You help me keep my feet on the ground. No matter how high I get, I'll always look up to you. Oh, that was, that was number one, and that, that was written by me and Ethan. Would, that was a good thing too. Yeah, that that was that's a great song, and that's huge that you got that success. I'm curious when I, you know, I was just a little, I was eight years old, in 1981, and I remember at that time shows like Solid Gold, but also shows like Hee Haw, and there would be artists right. like I did Hee Haw a bunch with Loretta. Did you really? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, probably more times than I can count. Okay, I was curious yeah. because it seemed like at that time, country music and pop music were a lot more intertwined. Like you mentioned Eddie they Rabbit. Were. I loved Eddie Rabbit. Ronnie Millsap, Ronnie yes. Millsap. He was the, doing all that stuff. Uh, Crystal Gale. Yes, the Gatlin uh, Brothers. Know, the, the Gatlin Brothers, right, exactly. Yeah. They opened for us a bunch. They were great guys, too. They opened for us a bunch in uh, in uh, in Vegas when we, were, when we no played way. there. When I was with Loretta. When yeah. I was with Loretta, yeah. See, so I, you know, when you listen back to, for instance, your album, it could easily be considered maybe a country-ish album, or it could be a pop album, or it could be nowadays and, and, not and, rock and album. That's, and that's fun. That's, that, that's very fun. Yeah. My roots are in country music, you know. I mean, I grew up just in the Merle. Merle Hagan was my favorite. Matter of fact, that's kind of what got me to singing was just in the Merle. When I was very, very young. And then Glenn Campbell after that. And then, uh, and then, but when Elton John came out, that's when I taught myself how to play the piano. Oh, really? Well, I really got serious about singing, you know, uh, stuff like that. So that's kind of changed my country roots. But when I sing, the country roots are still there. Yeah. I did a lot of publishing demos for people over the past 
before I was like 55. Okay. You know, I'm 64 now. But for the past like 15 years of my singing career, I did tons of, of country demos for people. Huh. Tons of them. That's wild. Okay, so do you ever, is there ever a second opportunity? Does it, anything else arise any at any time to put out a second album? Yeah, like I said, when I when I was in Nashville, there was, well, Jimmy Bowen knew me. Jimmy Bowen produced a ton of ton of records in Nashville, and and we put a band together with a couple of guys that even was producing, even Stevens was producing for us, and James Stroud, who produced tons of country artists back in the day, the in the mid eighties, mm-hmm. offered. We were trying to get a record deal. James was very interested in doing a deal on matter of fact, James and I recorded a couple of sides together hmm. that he produced. But like I said, they wanted too much of a commitment. I wasn't willing to give up 230 days a year of my life. Hmm. So it just it just wasn't in the cards for me. Yeah. I just my family was way more important to me than my career was. Yeah. And money. And money. Money was great. I'm just you know, I never had a problem with money or anything like that, but but I just you know, yeah, would I love to have the millions of dollars that I maybe could have had? <laughs> yeah, but I think my family was more important. Yeah, okay. You mentioned money. We try to cover the business side of things sensitively on here. I, I would imagine you still make decent mailbox money from Greatest American Hero to this day. It would blow you away. Really? <laughs> it would blow you away. And you didn't last write that year, song. La- la- last year, that song, no, I didn't write it. I just, you know, I just, yeah. I just sang on it. Um, but last year they used, was it last year? Year before last. They used it in an NFL commercial. State Farm Insurance commercial. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, I remember that. And somebody was jumping over a, a hill with their dog in the car. Yeah, that's right. I think it was Brett Favre. Yeah. And they, that thing played a ton and you would not believe the amount of money. It was just stupid. Really? It was crazy. And I didn't do it. And I, oh, yeah, it was nuts. It was so, just nuts. But it's, I, I assume... It's not enough to, you know, just live off of the mailbox money, but it's a nice perk no, once in a while. All. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, it's, it's like it's like hitting the lottery. You know, a few thousand here, a few thousand there. That's you know. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now you work in at, at a car dealership. You manage a car dealership, or you sell cars? Or well, I, like I owned a couple of car dealerships. Oh. Um, a couple of used car dealerships until two thousand eight. When the recession hit, uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out anymore. Yeah. So I went to work as a fleet manager at a car dealership, but because I'd known the car business for a whole long time. A friend of mine, Randy Richter, got me in the car business, and I enjoyed it as long as I didn't have to stand out there and take ups and, and do all that kind of stuff, just work in my own little world. Yeah. And that worked out for a while, but then after a while, I just got tired of working weekends and all that kind of stuff again. I wanted to be home with my wife, mm-hmm. so, um, so I found this gig I do now. I probably should be retired by now, but I don't want to because I like working. Hmm. It's uh, something I do for my house. I'm an auditor for an internet company that 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 over, oversees car dealerships. Really? So what kind of thing do yeah. you do? What is what does that in, what does that mean? I audit like 12 dealerships customer customer relations module. I look at them and tell them what they're doing wrong, where where we could maybe attract more deals, who how they could. It's how they could help their business. Yeah. Okay. I mean, were you one of those kids who was really into cars, you know, from a young age? I like old cars. Okay. 
You know, I, I like old cars. I, 67, I had a 67 Mustang that was fully restored. Um, things like that. I had a 72 Porsche. It's just, I like old car. I don't like, I don't care what I drive. Uh-huh. Crazy because I, you know, <laughs> I really don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. And you live outside of LA still, I believe, right? Yeah, I lived uh, about uh, 35, 40 miles outside of LA. Okay. Up in the, up in the, up in the country. Yeah, what I think I read that somewhere. What are you more of a country, you know, out of the fast lane type guy? You like yes, it out there? Yes, I would have it. Okay. Oh yeah, I love it. Okay. We have a few acres, and my wife and daughter are barrel racers. They run, they race horses, and and we have dogs, and you know, and just they love it. That's wild. And what do your kids do? You have three kids. I have three kids. My one, my one son is in aerospace. He has uh, two children, an 18-year-old named Nathan, a 15-year-old named Christine. My daughter is a nurse. Um, my other son is married. He just had twins, a girl and a boy. They're four months old. He's one of the executives of Farmers Insurance. Huh. That's crazy. Do you ever get approached yeah. to tour or sing at, like, you know, yeah. Yacht Rock's a big deal now. Yacht, there are Yacht Rock festivals. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've talked to a lot of those guys. Do you ever get invites to come sing on those tours? Yeah, sometimes. You, you don't it's want not, to. Not as much as I used to. For for a while, for a while, I would get like I did a thing on the TV Land, the TV Land Awards or something okay. like that it was a few uh -huh. years ago, and I did that. And then they asked me to come to New York to do a show uh, for some radio station that was working in New York, and I did that because uh, I talked them into bringing my wife with me and going to a Yankee game because I'm a mm -hmm. big baseball freak. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I did that. We went to New York for three or four days and had a ball. But other than that, I just, I have no interest in it, really. Wow. Do you ever sing now? Not much for the past four years or so. For some reason, my voice just isn't what it used to be. Yeah. And I always swore that, I always swore that when, when, I, when my vibrato got wide, I can't stand it when people hang on too long. There, yeah. There's some some people that a few names right now that I won't mention their names. Sure. They shouldn't be singing anymore. It's ridiculous. Right. It's embarrassing. Right. You know, and I don't want to get to that point. Can I still sing? Yes. Can I sing like I used to? No. Sure. Could I if I worked at it every day? I don't think so. But still, it just it's just something that you know. This guy's like Tony Bennett who will never, ever stop singing. Huh. It was phenomenal. This guy's like Ray Charles, who was singing great up until the day he died. Yeah. People like Aretha Franklin, who sounded unfreaking believable until the day she died. Yeah. But that's very, very few and far between. Right. You know, people, some people, when they hit that 50, 55-year-old, should get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I mean, so many, I, my, I took my daughter to see Kiss in concert the other night. You know their their voices are shot. It was still a total oh, yeah. blast. It was a great show. It was fun. The song sounded right. great, but neither of Paul and Jean, neither of them can sing anymore, unfortunately. No, you know people don't give a damn. You know it's like yeah. Elton John. I mean, you know he uh, he was. I grew up with him. If not for him, I would have never learned to play piano. Probably would have never had a record deal if it wasn't for him because I just developed my talent around what what I heard from him. Yeah. But have you heard him lately? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is actually. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not good. You know, um, so I went to see uh, I went to see Queen with my grandson a while back at the forum, and Adam Lambert was singing lead, and he's phenomenal. At first, when I went there, I thought, 
you know, it's not going to be the same without Freddie Mercury. After the first couple of songs, I forgot about Freddie Mercury. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Seriously, he's phenomenal. That's what phenomenal. I've heard. That's what I've heard. Yeah. 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 I, w- I just wondered if you ever, you know, if like maybe you have a piano at the house and when no one's home, you just get down, you sit down and play some songs and sing full throated for of a course. minute. Of course. You do? Of course. Of course. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That'll never change. Good. I didn't. Yeah, I want guitar, piano, whatever. Good. I want to yeah. make sure you still had those opportunities. Do you ever sing in church or anything like that? I did up until a while ago. We haven't been going to the same church anymore. So, we'll, matter of fact, we're looking for a church right now. But yeah, I, I have. Okay. Yes. I just. Uh, I assumed that might be part of it too. You know, you're 64. You're. It sounds like you're just enjoying kind of life right now. You have a job you like. You're not hindered with baggage about the music industry or anything no i i'm very 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 happy man that is fantastic tell us what your favorite memory is when you look back do you think you would never believe what happened to me you've taught i mean you've sang with so many legends you must have incredible stories well the the the, my most (laughs) My most fond memory, believe it or not, of, of, of the music business, and it has nothing to do with being having a hit record, I was absolutely in love with Linda Ronstadt. Uh. She was a phenomenal singer, and I thought she was just fantastic looking. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. And um, I knew Dolly at the time, but I'd never met Linda. So one time we were doing this record with Herb Peterson, who I've told you about, mm-hmm. and he knew everybody in the business. Okay, and there was about, I think there was 12 of us that were going to sing backgrounds on this one song of Herbs and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it. Hmm. So there was Linda Ronstadt was coming to the studio. Dolly was coming. Um, George Sample from Little Feet, who's gone now, God rest his soul. There was a few other people. John Denver was there. Amy Lou Harris, I think, was there, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So we all, there was three of us on, on, each, on a microphone in the studio. You know, and I was scared to death because Linda was there. Yeah. I finally got to meet her, and she, and, you know, and she just was killing me. Uh-huh. So they put me in a microphone with me in the middle, Linda on one side of me, and Dolly on the other side. So I'm sitting there like an Oreo cookie sandwich between, you know, <laughs> Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton, and we're singing, and I'm just, I'm just sitting there. I can barely sing because I'm dying because I'm hearing Linda and I'm hearing Dolly. Linda finally looks over me and she goes, "Hey, what part are you singing? I want to sing that part. I really like what you're doing." And I'm just like, oh my God. So that was one of the most memorable moments of my career, believe it or not, with something that simple and that small. No, I believe because it. I was such a, I was such a fan of hers. Yeah. And so so taken taken by her that it was just it was amazing that I got to sing with her and Dolly together. That is and so for her to ask me that question. Yeah. You know, unfortunately Linda can't sing anymore. Yeah. Oh I know. It's so sad yeah. what's happened to her. I mean, this sounds like the seeds of what became that trio album that they made. Did you have anything to do with the trio album? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. No, 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 no. no. They'd known each other for years. I mean, after that, we went up to a few houses where Dolly was and Emily was there and and all that. And we'd sing together and have fun. And, you know, J.D. Souther and I think Emily was married to at the time. Okay. Uh, People like that. Everybody who was anybody back then in the, in that, in that, genre of music you know mm-hmm. but always gather around and have a little get togethers and i was fortunate enough to be a part of a couple of those so i mean it was amazing memories yeah amazing 
That is, how did you meet your wife? Yeah. Believe it or not, I met her. Believe it or not, uh-huh. um, when I was about when I was about nineteen years old, I was playing in bands at night, and uh, you know I had to make some more money, so I started working at Sears in the catalog department in Thousand Oaks, and uh, she was hired after I was, and we were both engaged at the time. Well, I broke up with my girlfriend. We became friends. We were just friends. Uh-huh. And she broke up with her boyfriend. And about uh, two months later, I asked her out on a date. And two weeks later, I asked her to marry me. <laughs> no way. Right. Yeah, and we got married about three years after that. We got married about two and a half, three years after that. And the funny part was when, when I, I was still touring with Loretta at the time, and we planned our wedding for February 3rd. 1979 and all of a sudden Loretta had a gig on that on that night in, in Las Vegas at the Alex Chalmers convention uh-huh. at the Hilton Hotel so I had to fly in for sound check the night before missed my missed my wedding rehearsal <laughs> flew home the morning of my wedding got married went to the reception flew back to Vegas with my wife and did the show that night with Loretta, and she introduced us on stage. No way. In front of about, in front of about five or 6,000 tractor guys. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Oh, that is wild. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk baseball for one second. I take it you're a huge Dodgers fan, probably. Huge, huge. Yeah. I've uh, been for years. Steve Yeager and I used to be pretty good friends. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I met him at a sushi bar in Thousand Oaks after the record came out, and we hung out a little bit together and for a couple of years, and and you know I'd call him for tickets and all that kind of stuff. It was a ball. Yeah, I um, I'm, yeah. I'm a big baseball guy. I was especially big when I was a kid. I started collecting baseball cards in 1982 when I was nine, right. and um, right. I always I always think of Steve Yeager as the guy who backed up Mike Sosha basically for the Dodgers. Well, actually, you know, Steve was, Steve was there before Mike Sosha. Was he? Mike, okay. And Mike Sosha and I were friends as well. We went out there a few times. Uh, yeah, Steve was there before Mike. As a matter of fact, Steve was the MVP in the 81 World Series along with three of them. Steve Garvey, Steve Yeager, and Pedro Guerrero, I think, were, were uh, Pedro three Guerrero. Of that yeah. series, yeah. Okay. Pedro yeah. Guerrero and I have the same birthday. So I've always ah. always had a soft spot for him. Now, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Rockies fan because I live in Denver. I gotta admit, I kind of hate the Dodgers. I, I didn't when I'm I was sure a kid. You, do. I, you know, when I was a kid, I'm it sure was Ken, Dusty Baker and Ken Landro, and those were good times. But now I kind of hate them. You know, right? But you gotta understand that the Dodgers really don't buy a team anymore. Yeah. These, most of the guys that are on that team are farm guys. Yeah, those have all come up to the ranks. You know, the Cody Bellingers. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting here looking at the game right now. Cody Bellingers and the people like that—they've all come up to the ranks. Yeah. Those pitchers that they have, you know, Clayton Kershaw and Rich Hill, those are all guys they went out and bought and got. They weren't they weren't like big huge free agent signings. Yeah, they signed, you know, Machado last year for a full rental agreement for three or four months. But yeah. try to help them with the series, but most of it's most of it's homegrown talent. Yeah, that's true. Or people they picked up off the scrap heap, like Justin Turner, <laughs> the guy that Mets released. They released him, and the guy's hitting three hundred and hitting twenty five to thirty home runs a year, and and you know driving in you know yeah. ninety or hundred runs a year. That's you know, wild. That I could wild. talk. I could talk baseball all day. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a separate podcast. I would love to talk baseball with you all day. That would be a blast. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Well, look, uh, Joey, I've had a fascin- fascination with you for most of my life. I mean, I my some of my very first memories of music and being alert to popular culture and whatever it is. I remember that show, although I, I only saw it a few times, I think, because I was so young. But you were there. You're the soundtrack of, like, my awakening to pop music. So thanks for, <laughs> yeah. I mean, thanks for being you. I don't say that because I hope you don't feel old, but I mean, that's a big deal to me. I know? don't. I, I really don't. No, I just, you know, I feel I, I'm blessed. Yeah. I'm a very yeah. blessed man. That is why. Wait, you know, if I do the math, so how old were you when you sang that song? 26. 26 years old. Actually, I was 20. I was 25 when I, in 1980, I was born in 1955. Okay. The song went number two, like you like you say, in June or July of nineteen eighty one. Okay. So yeah, I was I was basically twenty six. I was twenty five when I recorded it, but I was twenty six when it actually made the hit. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. it's uh, I mean, you've you've contributed mightily to popular culture, and that's got to feel good, <laughs> you know. You know, there was a song that was Hardcast to McCormick that, that I did the theme song for. Also, was a second. That was, I thought, was a really good song, too. Um, it's called Back to Back. There was another guy, David Morgan, did the original theme song. About two years into the show, I ended up doing another theme song for it. You know, that and the, the, the Jennifer Slept Here, I did the theme song for, which was a not very long run little comedy. Rip Tide, I did a lot of singing in that show, okay. doing the A-team as well. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. You know, I had um, Billy Vera on here a few years ago. Do you mm-hmm. remember him? Billy Vera and the Beaters? Yes. He had that fluke, kind of like you in a way, a fluke number one song. What that, would you say? Yes. If, about this moment? Yeah. Yes, at this moment that was on yeah. Family Ties. And um, right. we were talking, but he also sang the theme song to The King of Queens, that sitcom that oh, really? went on forever. Sure, yes. Sure, and he sure. was, I got the impression, he didn't come right out and say this, but I got the impression that he made tons of money off of that because of syndication he gets paid just like the actors get paid for that so do show. i so did i really so did i yeah oh yeah matter of fact when they use it on the commercial i mean you, you, the money was stupid because <laughs> i got paid like an actor i got paid for the session again yeah plus i got paid for the use fee from electra yeah i mean it was you know i i didn't want to tell you how much money it was that it was done it was like hitting a lot of i that's that's exactly it that's exactly it yep yeah yeah 
And it really is. Uh, I mean, we you owe you owe Mike Post. I mean, Mike Post is the guy who fought for you. It sounds like what a what a blessing, you know, to have that guy. He did. In your he corner. did fight for me. No, no, he was he was in my corner for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Well, good. Well, best of luck. You've contributed, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Joey, for talking with me. Thank you, John. All right, there you have it, Joey Scarberry. There's the story right there. Sorry the auto audio wasn't great in some spots. I think I think I may have been on speakerphone and he was probably walking around doing other things while he was talking to me. But I think you got it all. Uh, I want to close it out with one of the songs that this is probably my second favorite song off of that Joey Scarberry album, Backstairs of My Life. I just think this is beautiful. And it's the perfect end of the night. People are going home from like the piano bar. What are you going to play that's kind of somber, that's kind of pretty, that's contemplative this is it backstairs of my life i love this song joey kills it also next week is our fifth birthday and as you guys know i always try to make our fifth our birthday guests somebody really extra special somebody we get a lot of requests for someone who's kind of a big name someone who ties into a lot of other uh guests we've had on whatever that might be and i think we have a pretty special fifth birthday guest lined up for next week rock and roll hall of famer member of one of the most important bands of all time. They weren't that huge, but they were absolutely important. They're not together anymore and probably never will be, but we have a member of that band and we're talking to them next week. Okay. Uh, huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makiewicz for all your help, buddy. Thanks for everything you do. Uh, and for putting these fantastic episodes together. You guys know what to do by now. You can like our page on on Facebook, our page on Facebook, and you can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We have a ton of bonus content right now, and uh, we'll see what kind of time... Yan has to put a few of these things out. We've got some bo- a couple bonus episodes, some deep dives, uh, tons of stuff. So we'll see what we can do. All right? Thanks, everybody. Love you. Stairs of my life.